Indeed, 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 our Savior is unbelievable. I'm so tickled that I get up here every week and I get to talk about him. I mean, I, I, I feel like uh, uh, when I was 19 years old and Jesus became real to me, I mean, I grew up in the church and I, my dad was a pastor even, which could be working against you sometimes, just so you know. And, uh, and, and, and I kind of was around the conversation of Jesus my whole life. He wasn't real to me until I got to college, until I encountered him, encountered his word. And I couldn't get enough of him, still can't. I struggle from time to time, just like anybody else. I'm not perfect, but man, I'm so grateful be able to know Jesus, to have my faith in him, to be able to share that with you as I stand before you now. It's like, uh, it's like anything you get excited about. I'm really excited about the Slim Clip. I've told you about this before. But uh, the, the reason I tell people about the Slim Clip over and over again is because I, I believe it. And the reason that I have given my life to preaching and teaching and counseling and talking to people about Jesus is because he's changed my life. I believe in him. And my hope is for you to believe in him too. So let's talk about belief today as we talk about how unbelievable Jesus is. A couple things I know about belief. You want to share with them with me? Uh, how about this one? Everybody believes. Does everybody agree with that? Everybody believes. Everybody believes. I would, I would break belief down into two categories. There would be uh, the beliefs that we uh, basically come to as, as, uh, as we experience things in life. All right. So like that, didn't like that. I believe in this, I don't believe in that. Um, these are things that come from our experiences and the things that we know, and we would call those opinions. My opinion is that the best strawberry shortcake in town can be found at the uh, Cheesecake Factory, uh, which is probably something you wouldn't think because cheesecake is what it's known for. But I'm telling you what, man, uh, that strawberry shortcake over there makes you want to hit somebody. It's just that good, right? <laughs> So that's my opinion. You can disagree with me, but that's my opinion. I believe that the best professional baseball team plays its home games in Boston, Massachusetts. <laughs> See, this is what I'm talking about. There is a room full of people who disagree with me on that, and they have the right to be wrong, which is fine, but I am of the opinion. Uh, that, and that's, that's, that's what opinions are. They're beliefs. So they're based on our experiences, and that's what makes our opinions. Now, there's another side of belief, though, and this is the side that we call faith. If our opinions come from the things that we do know and have experienced, our faiths come from the things that we can't know or don't know and haven't experienced personally. Uh, they're, they're, they're what we uh, employ to kind of bridge the gap between what we do know and what we don't. It says in the Bible in Hebrews chapter 11 that faith is the assurance of things that are hoped for and it's the convictions of things not seen. It's, it's what we do with our beliefs to, to help us understand and, and, and put our arms around the stuff uh, that we haven't seen, the things that we haven't attained yet. Faith is something that everybody experiences. Even if you're uh, atheistic, you still have faith. Just by being a human, you have to because not every, well, how about this? No human knows everything. Some of you are like 20, you're like, oh, au contraire, mon frere, that's French. <laughs> I totally know everything, I'm 20. Okay, uh, all the older people in the crowd, do you feel like you know less than you did when you were 20? Yeah, that's what age does, it beats it out of you. You're like, I don't know anymore, man, I just, I thought I knew, but I don't know. And in those areas where we can't be certain, we employ faith. One of, the, one, of the, one of the big areas that that happens in is, uh, is this whole area of origin. 
You know, we just talked about it in the series that we're doing here at our church. Come back. We're still on it when you come back next week. But uh, we've been talking in Genesis about how things got their start. And most of the world outside uh, of, of the confine, maybe even some of you in here, you're theistic, uh, excuse me, you're scientific evolutionists. You believe that, uh, like the science books teach us in our, in our classes, that, uh, you know, there's a big bang and everything took millions and billions of years to get here. And here we are. But we don't have video cameras going back millions and billions of years. Uh, we have evidences in our, you know, and, and we interpret it certain ways and we come up with those things and I get it and science supports it and all that stuff. But ultimately, just so we're all clear, uh, evolution's a theory and a theory requires faith, right? Not here to preach that, but some of us believe that God uh, created in uh, seven days. And some of you are like, oh, here we go. But we weren't there when he created, if he, if he did, and I believe he did. And so what we do with that is we say we have faith. We believe, and so faith is this portion of belief uh, that helps us with the things that we can't know for sure. Now, everybody believes, but everybody does life according to what they believe. Does everybody agree with that? uh, Travis did such an excellent job Friday night when he was teaching, and he talked about the fact that, uh, you know, uh, one of the, I can't remember which church father, was probably Augustine, that's his favorite, but uh, uh, he was talking about the fact that uh, this church father said that, uh, you know, people don't do what they know, they do what they love. And I would actually extend that and say, people do what they believe. People love what they believe and believe what they love, and that's what ends up influencing and shaping their lives. These words have never come out of my mouth. You ready for them? Let's go to the beach. Never once said that in my life. <laughs> Here's why. I believe that the beach is hell on earth. That is my belief, Okay. <laughs> And there's lots of parallels. Hot, okay? Very hot. Uh, Uncomfortable. I picture hell being an uncomfortable place, okay? So here's the three S's of the beach. Uh, Sun, uh, sweat, and sand. All bad. Okay? I'm going to burn. I'm going to be sweaty while I'm doing it. And then the sand's going to stick to me after I'm done, right? There are pictures of me hanging in our home of me surviving the beach. I'm laying down on my face. All the clothing of my entire family is being put over my sunburnt body. I'm just waiting for the okay to go home. And that's, that's immortalized in my home, in a picture. Because I can't stay in the beach. This is a problem in my house, because guess what? My beautiful bride loves the beach. She would move there right now. In fact, she might, if you see someone get up and leave, it's her, because I put this in her mind and she's heading to the beach. Now, she loves the, the, the sound of the waves and the wind blowing off the, uh, you know, the, oh, it's just all this blah, 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 blah. It's like, oh. But our beliefs determine our actions. Someday she and I may figure it out. She's trained me on a few other things. Maybe she'll get me there. Here's the third thing I know about beliefs. What we believe can hold us back or set us free. What we believe can either hold us back or it can set us free. Uh, most of life isn't determined by external forces. Did you know that? I, I believe a lot of what you uh, and I settle for in life comes from within. It comes from our beliefs about ourselves, about our limitations. And we won't push ourselves because we believe that if we do, something bad's going to happen. My daughter, Kai, uh, uh, she's going to turn 19 here in a couple days, but when she was younger, uh, she, uh, she, she had a fear of uh, roller coasters, Okay. Uh, I, we we tell her all the time, it's more likely that she'll get you know, uh, hit by lightning than die on a roller coaster or whatever the statistics are. And some of you are like, oh, I, I don't like lightning. But, uh, um, but she wouldn't go on roller coasters. 
until this one day, uh, someone gave us tickets uh, to go, you know, see the mouse, and we went over there to the uh, rock and roller, whatever thing it is. Uh, not a big fan of the mouse either, but we're not going to start that. Anyway, because uh, <clears throat> some of you got the stickers on your car, and we'll just have a big problem. All right. <laughs> Well, we, we got tickets to go over there, and, and uh, I'd never been on it, and so I said, okay, this is going to be your first roller coaster. And, she, and to her credit, she was brave, she got in line. But her biggest fear is the loop-de-loops and the roller coasters. And so I'd never been on it, so I just kept telling her, no, it's inside. There's no way there's loop-de-loops in there. Come on. There's, I mean, it's in a building. How can they build a loop-de-loop in a building? And I uh, convinced her the whole way until we got to the very end or the front of the line, and she was getting into the car. And then she finally asked one of the attendants as the bar was going. I knew if I got the bar down on her, we're good. She's going, right? So we got her, you know, into the car and she got the bar on her and she kind of, excuse me, can you tell me if there's any loops on this roller coaster? As the car is heading into the ride, the guy raises up his hand and he goes, a little bit of panic at that point for my little girl. She screamed a lot in the dark on that ride. Uh, But guess what? We got to the end. Heart was still beating. She made it! Yay! And guess what she did next? Got back in line, I think. She was ready for more. And it may not be her favorite thing to do, but she got over her fear of it. Why? Because she overcame a belief, a false one, as it were. Uh, A belief that she was going to die if she got on a roller coaster. Isn't it great? This is the fourth thing. Isn't it great that we can change what we believe? Isn't it great? I mean, especially if it's, if it's a false belief, if it's a belief that's holding us back, it's so crucial that we can uh, alter those beliefs. I used to hate onions. Can't get enough of them now. I'll, I'd put those in donuts. Those are great, right? <laughs> uh, some people grew up believing that races were inferior or superior to them. And we are not out of the woods on that uh, matter as a, as a nation at all. But we've come a long way from where our grandparents were. And hopefully most of us have kind of figured that out. And that, that false belief about uh, any man or woman or race being superior to another, uh, hopefully one day will be wiped out. Uh, we, can, we can be held back by all kinds of things that we're told about ourselves as kids. Some of you are struggling with that right now. Uh, you were told to believe that you weren't going to amount to anything. That you're dumb, you're stupid. You're never going to make it. And your life is a testimony to the fact that maybe through good relationships or, or, or opportunities in school or in, in, in your area of business, you've been able to prove those lies wrong and you've stopped believing in them and become the person that God uh, always intended you to be. I think it's great that we get to change what we believe. In fact, I will tell you that the church is predicated. The church finds its hope in the fact that men and women and children can change what they believe because there's a whole world, billions of people out there who have yet to believe in Jesus Christ. That's why I get so amped up to tell you about him. Because I know if by his spirit he can open your eyes like he did mine, he can lead you to the life-changing good news of this day the Son of God came, died, and rose again so that you and I, those created by him and for him, could be reunited with him through our faith in him. That's the question I want us to kind of set around with the rest of our time. What do you, what do you believe about Jesus Christ? Some of you, I don't, I don't get to see you maybe this, this one time. Maybe I won't see you again. I hope you come back. I'd love to have you come back. You are always welcome. 
But maybe you're here just so you can get the ham, right? This is kind of the deal. Mom will cook the ham. I got to show up here. This is the hour I got to do before the ham. We're going to do eggs and bunnies and all that stuff. But here, I, listen, if, if I get you for, you know, 20 minutes, I just want to ask you this question. What do you, what do you believe about Jesus? What does this story mean to you? Certainly there's, there's people among us like there were at the time when Jesus was crucified who are scoffers. Some people come to the story of Jesus and they're just, man, like I said at the opening, this is unbelievable. I can't believe this. This is ridiculous. It's unicorns. It's a fairy tale. Now certainly you, know, you wouldn't be alone in history. Uh, tons of people have come to the story of Jesus and said, not for me. In fact, Jesus was hanging on a cross and lots of people took it upon themselves to express that to him personally. Look what it says in Matthew 27. It says that those at his crucifixion who passed by, they derided him and they wagged their heads and they said, you who would destroy the temple, Jesus had talked about that, and rebuild it in three days, save yourself. If you're the son of God, come down from that cross. So also the chief priests with the scribes and elders, they mocked him and they said, he saved others. He cannot even save himself. He is the king of Israel. Let him come down now from the cross and we will then believe in him. He trusts in God. Let God deliver him now if he desires him. For he said, I am the son of God. Get this, even the robbers, both of them. A lot of us have heard the story of these two thieves that hung on either side of Jesus. We know that one of them uh, presented later in the day with you know, a, at least a, a modicum of faith. He defended Jesus to the other thief, but the, he didn't start out that way. Because it says here in Matthew that the robbers who were crucified with him, they also reviled him in the same way. Now, I think our culture is going to get more and more hostile to this, this message of Jesus. So, and it's no wonder, just, just so we're all clear, it's always been that way. And in fact, a lot of times in history, it's been way worse. We've kind of grown up into the, you know, the, the, the nurturing bosom of America and its freedoms. In lots of places in the world today, Jesus will get you in jail. Jesus will get you killed if you profess your faith in him. And that's how it's been throughout history. It's just... He's just not been a favorite. And you know why? The Bible talks about why. The Bible talks about the fact that humanity, uh, from the very first man and woman, chose to rebel against God. We all have this like, you can't tell me, that you're not the boss of me. Has anybody ever felt that way when someone told them to do them something? You're not the boss of me. Do you know who you're talking to? Three snaps. Mm, mm, mm. <laughs> We're not playing that around here. Apparently, you don't know who I am. You know what gives you that mentality and that attitude? This incredible sense of self that came at the fall of man, Genesis chapter three. This awareness of, of, or this desire even of wanting to be God. That's what led us into sin in the first place. The first man and woman said, you know what, we'll be just like God, let's do this. And we've been trying to displace him ever since. So of course people are gonna come to the God story. Of course, people are gonna to come to the story of his son and his sacrifice for us, and they're gonna be dismissive, and they're gonna be like, no, I don't wanna hear that. I don't wanna hear about anything that could have authority over me. I just don't wanna be a part of it. There's another set of people that come to the story of Jesus, and they're the skeptics. The skeptics come to, to the story of Jesus, and they're not all the way on the, on the, on the end of the degree of, of disbelief, or the, um, um, this is unbelievable. They're kinda of in the middle. I mean, some days are like, okay, I could, I could, I could put my, my eggs in this basket. Oh, Easter joke. I could put my eggs in this basket, right? But on other days, I'm like, man, I just don't know if I can believe that. 
Our kids are going to college, those who grew up in Christian churches, and, and they're being surrounded by professors and other students who are like, you believe that? And they say, yeah, do I believe that? And they kind of find the fence. Anybody ever found the fence in something? And kind of sit on it? It's uncomfortable, isn't it? Putting that fence uh, right there. And you kind of just lean one way or the other. But that's what a skeptic does. And it's easy to get there. Listen, you can be, uh, you know, long and, and, and solid in the faith and all of a sudden find yourself in doubt. The disciples did. They've watched Jesus die on Friday. And when the earlier reports rolled in that, that he was alive, they were like, nuh-uh. What it says in Mark chapter 16, it says this, now when he rose, Jesus arose early on the first day of the week, Sunday, uh, he appeared first to Mary Magdalene, which is described in other gospels, from whom he had cast out seven demons. She went and told those who had been with him, the disciples, his best buds. He says, she says, I've been to the tomb, it's empty. Some angels were there, they told me that he is risen. I talked to him myself. As she later would in the account. And they still wouldn't believe it. It goes on in verse 12 and it says this, after these things he appeared in another form to two of them. This is, this is the story that's in uh, the Gospel of Luke and it talks about these two uh, people who were heading out to Emmaus. And uh, they were wondering about what had happened. They, they had, you know, been in Jerusalem when Jesus had been crucified. But Jesus himself appears to these, these two journey, journeyers and, 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 and reveals himself to them. And he, they go back to Jerusalem to tell his friends. And it says in verse 3, that when they went back and told the rest, they, they didn't believe him. They didn't believe him. You go into in John chapter 20, and you're, you're going to see that John reports himself uh, that when Mary Magdalene came back, he and Peter took off uh, for, the, for the tomb to see for themselves. And John is very careful to say that the other disciple was what he calls himself in his own writings about the disciples. The other disciple ran on ahead. I won the race. I was in superior shape to Peter. But he gets to the tomb and he, he peeks in and uh, he, he sees that it's empty and he won't go any further. Peter goes in and, and looks around. He sees the, the shroud, that, uh, the, the mummy wrappings, if you want to call them that, that Jesus was wrapped in. And, and, and they're, they're laying there. I believe almost as if the body were still in them, but they're empty, kind of like a cocoon. If you've ever found one of those out in the, you know, where, a, where a, a caterpillar had turned into a butterfly and there's the cocoon. That's how I picture the wrappings there. And it says that John believed to Peter, but he, Peter left marveling. That means Peter left confused. Yeah, it's easy to get there. Uh, maybe you grew up believing uh, because your parents did, and then when it was time for you to make your own choice, you went in another direction. You're here for the ham, uh, but uh, uh, you're not really, you know, settled on the Jesus question. Um, maybe, uh, which is more common in, in the world that we live in today, you've never been around this story. It's just unclear to you. Uh, you're not totally against Jesus. You kind of believe, you're like, okay, that probably happened historically, but as far as it changing your life, you're like, oh, hey, slow down, settle down. People get kind of edgy around that whole religion subject, isn't it? I'm, I'm, I'm conversation kryptonite, just so you know. Like, if I'm ever out with you and one of your friends meets me, we're not gonna be talking long. It's just how it works. Because people just get really uneasy around. Like, like uh, uh, I, I, my friend Shane and I were golfing, and one of his buddies from his work world, uh, <clears throat> you know, came up and said hi to him, and I was just, you know, the 
you know, the plus one, hi, you know, and so I'm listening to these guys, you know, go on about their families, and, and then he turns and says, oh, hey, this is my, this is my pastor, Mark. Oh, why do you start with that? Because <laughs> this guy went all alligator arms on me. He's like, oh, hi. <laughs> don't touch me long. I don't know, I don't know, I don't know if I want you touching me at all. You're, you're one of them Christians. You're one of them pro-Christians. You're like a professional Christian. <laughs> and uh, I think we said like five words and the dude was gone. All right, Shane, see ya. I'm like, sorry, bro, it's just the effect I have on people. <laughs> Why, because people, man, hey, I'll go to Easter, I'll go to Christmas, but don't be bringing that stuff up in here in between. Why, because they're happy to just kind of be on that fence. You know what my hope is? My hope is is that today is the day, or the beginning at least, of you getting shoved over on the side of Jesus. That you would understand that this is way more than twice a year. It's way more than just kind of a tacit understanding and belief in him. That you would take the time that it would be necessary for you to really experience what God can give you in a relationship with him through Jesus Christ. I, uh, I worked on a house earlier this year my house and I was trying to save money and uh, many of you heard me tell stories I'll tell one again for the people who are visiting I, I got a backhoe to save myself money in digging this trench and I proceeded to use this backhoe to wreck the roof line of my house and hit other things that I shouldn't hit the, with a backhoe at my house okay wasn't going well alright couldn't figure out the levers I mean out meant in and over meant in you know just all this crazy stuff and there were different times in the process where I was like that's it I'm making more, I'm costing myself more money by trying to do it myself than I am by having someone else do it for me. Has anyone ever been there? Yeah, but then finally something clicked and I figured out that this means scoop over, down, up, through, oh, that's how you do, oh, I figured it out. And by the end of the day, I could go to work for some of you guys who work in that business right now. I'm just telling you, I'm your man. If you ever need somebody, I can operate heavy machinery. And it became second nature. Why? Because I gave it time and I learned about things and it, it became something uh, that I owned. That, that's what I pray for everybody in here. I pray that everybody in here falls off that fence and owns it and becomes a Shirley. Some of you are like, don't call me Shirley. But when it comes to the question of Jesus, some are Shirley's. Look what it says in Mark chapter 15. It says this, and when the centurion who stood there in front of Jesus saw how he died, he said, say it with me, Surely this man was the son of God. Surely, surely is like our modern day for real. For re- I mean, it's not kind of, sort of, maybe, certainly, surely, for reals. Jesus is who he claims to be. I've come to that determination in my heart. And my mission is to see more and more people find that faith as well. How does that happen? How does, how does the brother of Jesus, uh, James, who writes a part of our Bibles, become someone who believes in Jesus? Can you imagine, uh, do you have a brother? Can you imagine believing that your brother was the son of God? How does that happen? I got two sisters, ain't no way that there are any part of the Trinity of any kind, unless it's an unholy one, right? But James, the brother of Jesus, who early in the story of Jesus went to take Jesus home because he thought he was crazy. Apparently understood that Jesus died and then rose again. He saw him and it made a believer out of his brother. 
Oh, if James believes, I'm in. And that's what I've chosen. I've determined that I'm in. I'm a Shirley. You can be too. How do you become a Shirley? Let me do this real quick. I'm going to take you to the end zone verse. I'm not going to trick it up on you. John 3.16, it's been at every Super Bowl you've ever watched, right there between the goalposts. And this is a conversation that Jesus had with a friend of his named Nicodemus. Nicodemus uh, was an adversary of Jesus, just by nature. He was a Pharisee. He was a, a, a proponent of the law of Israel, that Jesus was coming to kind of complete and finish and, and, uh, and, and, and uh, have terminate with him. But he listened to Jesus' teaching. It was so powerful. He just couldn't help it. He just wanted to know more. And so in the, in the darkness of night, it tells us in John chapter three, he comes to Jesus. He says, hey, I can tell you're a powerful teacher. What are you, what are you trying to say? And Jesus said these words that we've heard in our culture over again, you must be born again. And Nicodemus is like, well, that's weird. I can't get back in my mother. I mean, that's just gonna be physically impossible. And Jesus is like, for a smart guy, you're really dumb. He didn't say it that way, but that's kind of what he meant. He says, of course I'm not talking literal, I'm talking spiritual. He says, spiritually, you have to be, you gotta start over. Because when you are born physically the first time, you're born with this thing called a sin nature and it keeps everybody down. The Bible says that none are righteous, no, not one. That no one uh, can expect to overcome their unrighteousness on their own. Uh, That the wages of our sin is death, it's a separation from God. He says, you're born spiritually dead, so you gotta be born again and that comes through this verse as he goes on in his conversation with Nicodemus. He says this, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life or eternal life. That's what Jesus told Nicodemus. It is, it's bedrock gospel for those of us who call ourselves Christians. This is what we believe. First of all, that God loved us. There's nothing in us that makes us worthy of God. Everybody get that. Okay, you, you might be nicer than me, but you're still a mess. Every one of us is unworthy, and the only reason that God has anything to do with us is because of his profound love for us. And he so loved us. He so loved the world. When it says the world there, it's the Greek word cosmos. And every time it's, it's used in the scriptures, it's not, uh, well, especially by John, it's not used to describe like creation, the trees. It's not saying that God is a tree hugger, although he is. He loves his creation. He wants us to take care of it. Everybody with me on that? Recycle. <clears throat> but what his point is, is that he loves us, those in the world, those who have rebelled against him and chosen him not. God so loves us, even though we don't love him that he gave. His love for us is an act of love. It's not this passive, hopeful, you know, hope they can make this out on their own love. It's this love that intercedes on our behalf. It's this love that does where we can't do for ourselves. My son was four years old, Ben, and we were out at this uh, uh, Texas uh, lake with a bunch of youth group kids that we uh, were pastors over, and Eleanor had our other two with us, and we were having a great time. She took the younger kids down to the beach to hang out, and I was in charge of watching Ben. And uh, if you can just picture me not being the most wary guy, I got kind of caught up with all the other things going on. I lost sight of Ben, and I yelled to Eleanor at the beach. I said, is Ben with you? And she yelled, as only a mother can, he is with you. (laughs) Well, I knew he wasn't with me, and the only thing between me and her was a boardwalk and lots of water. And so I start taking off down this boardwalk, looking to the left and to the right, and then I finally see him. My four-year-old, who can't swim, has fallen into water that's about six or 10, six or 12 inches taller than him, and his hands are sticking out above the water, and there's bubbles coming up 
where his hands are, right? So I got to that point on the, on the pier and I just looked down and I said, oh, Ben, I love you. I'm going to miss you. I'm so glad God gave us a couple other kids because this is so unfortunate. Wow. If you haven't been here, I'm fluent in sarcasm. That is not what I did. I saw the hands, I saw the bubbles, and I was in the water, and it kind of went like this. Splash, grab, lift, cough, cough, wheeze, yell, why didn't you stay with me? I love you, hug, walk to the beach. That's how it went. Any good father would not stand by and watch his children die. And how much more will our heavenly father intercede on behalf? He did through Jesus. It says in Romans that God demonstrates his love for us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. Not everybody knows the verses prior to this. In verse 14 and 15 it says this, and I gotta tell you this quick. As Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the son of man be lifted up that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. Jesus said that. It's just like Moses and Nicodemus, who was a, a Jewish scholar, would just go, oh, Numbers 21. I know that's where, that's where he's talking about. But let me just walk you through the Bible in like 30 seconds. Here's how the Bible starts. Creation, God makes man. Man and, man, uh, man and woman choose not God at the behest of this serpent that was inhabited by our adversary. His name's Satan. He, uh, he convinces them to try to, you know, to be like God and in, in, in their disobedience, uh, they are, well, cast out of the garden. God has to bring repercussions and he starts with Satan and it's the first time Jesus is mentioned in the scripture. He says to uh, the snake, he says, hey snake, here's the deal. <clears throat> There's gonna be one, a descendant from this woman, the first woman, who will crush your head. And for the first time, Jesus and the idea of a savior comes on the scene. And you fast forward 2,500 years and now we're in this portion that Jesus is referring to in the, in the story of, of Nicodemus. He says, just like Moses, the son of man has to be lifted up like this serpent in the wilderness. Well, he was talking about something that was happening in the story of this guy, Moses, who was leading the descendants of Abraham out of Egypt. And uh, the descendants of Abraham uh, were full of scoffers and skeptics. And they kept just kind of saying, oh, God's led us astray. Take us back to Egypt. It was better to be a slave. And God got tired of it after a while. And he's like, all right, you want to see what I can do? How about some fiery serpents? This actually says this. Read the Bible. Numbers chapter 21. He sends fiery serpents. Not like serpents on fire. Like venomous snakes. Serpents whose bite feels like fire. And he sends them into the camp. And they start biting Israelites. And Israelites start dying and they do the math. Hey, wait a minute. This happened when we started complaining to God. We gotta go to Moses and have him pray to God and ask him to give us a solution to these snakes that are biting us. And so God comes to Moses and he says, all right, dude, get some bronze together, melt it down, make it in the shape of a serpent, uh, put it on a stick, and everybody who looks at that stick is going to be healed of the bites that these serpents have given them. Maybe you've seen this, this stick. It's in our symbol for medicine. It's a... Uh, it's, it's this, uh, this snake on a stick. Now here's what you gotta get and I gotta finish. The serpent represents sin. The serpent comes in the story of Moses and he's inflicting uh, the, the children of God with, with this poison. It's killing them, sin is killing them. 
And so Moses is told by God to put a snake on a stick, and everybody who looks at the snake on the stick, that's that belief, that, that, that belief that that's what will heal them, that's what heals them. And Jesus says, I gotta be the snake on the stick. You know what the Bible says about Jesus on the cross? It says that Jesus, who knew no sin, became sin for us. He took your sins and my sins on himself so that when we looked at him and what he accomplished on his cross, on his stick, we would see him and when we believed in him, we would be free from what was killing us, our sin. Oh, what a great picture. I'm so grateful to be the messenger of this good news to y'all. And so my question comes to you one more time. What do you believe? What do you believe about Jesus? Everyone believes. Everyone believes. What do you believe about him? Everyone lives their lives uh, according to what they believe. How is Jesus changing how you live? What we believe can hold us back or set us free. Is something holding you back from believing in Jesus? I pray that today you are set free. And everybody can change what they believe. Maybe it's time you change what you believe. And by the grace of God, I stand at the ready as the messenger of God, in charge of lots of messengers of God to help you understand what it is to follow him. If you want to start a dialogue with me, you can, yeah, we, can, we can use that phone in your pocket. Text 313131 and write unbelievable. And you are another one of our pastors. We'll start a dialogue on how you can believe in this Jesus that we celebrate today. Uh, if you're better at web pages, you can go to our website and just go to the uh, baylife.org uh, uh, slash unbelievable. We, same thing. I'd love to talk to you. If, if, if you don't have to get to ham and you want to talk today, I'll be over in the corner. We can start talking right now. Because Jesus is risen. And because he's risen, I have life and you can have life too. Watch this video as we sing this song. I do believe. I do believe. It's changed my life. I know it's changed many of yours. I pray that all of us one day soon, every one of us here can say that we believe. Jesus is our Savior. I'm going to pray to that end right now. God, we, we just come to you now. And on this special day, this day that we celebrate your resurrection, we just want to tell you, many of us in here, that that's, that's our creed. It's our, it's our life. We believe in you. We look to you for our, what we need. You're our source. We know your mission for us as a church is to help other people understand what we've understood from you to believe with us. So for everybody in here who's on their way to believing, I pray, God, that you'd help them in their journey to believe. Thank you for Jesus, God, for sending him to die so that he could conquer the grave and we could be conquerors with him. Thanks for doing that when none of us could deserve it, could earn it. Your love is amazing. It's unbelievable what you've done for us on this day. We thank you for it in Jesus' name. And the church said amen. God bless you this Easter church. It's great to have you. If you want to talk, I'll be down here. But thanks for coming. He's unbelievable.